Welcome to another episode of Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out all the other stuff we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com, including the recent conversation we had with the one and only Alex Honnold on our All Things Climbing podcast. That is a fantastic conversation we had with Alex, and if you haven't heard it or yet checked out All Things Climbing, you should because it's great. But you want to know what else is great? Gear and skis. So let's go ahead and talk about that now, shall we? I recently talked to Parlor Custom Skis co-founder Mark Wallace about a whole bunch of things happening at Parlor. Parlor Skis is based in Boston, Massachusetts, and Mark and I talk about the origin story of Parlor, their very successful build-your-own-skis classes that they offer, the new models that Parlor is adding to their 1819 lineup, including Parlor snowboards and splitboards, and we talk about several trends that Mark is seeing on the East Coast ski scene. And just in case all of that sounds a little too straightforward for your liking, Mark and I also talk about lasagna, burritos, and Camaros, and I may or may not get Mark to answer the question of which of the Parlor founders is the best skier. But I do get Mark to reveal who the coolest person at Parlor is, and as all of those clickbaity websites like to say, the answer may surprise you. Finally, if you'd like to hear Mark talk more about custom ski building, you can hear him do that on the roundtable discussion we had on custom skis, which is episode number 33 over on the Blister podcast. This episode of Gear 30 is brought to you by the 750 plus miles of trail in the Gunnison and Crested Butte Trail Network. I was in Crested Butte last week for another very successful outer bike there, and I'm going to be back again this weekend to either ride or run or hike, or maybe I'll try to sneak in some of all of the above. So whether you're in the mood to ride or hike or run, head over to mtbhome.com to learn more about the trail network in the Gunnison Valley. Have a look around and then start planning your trip to Crested Butte. September and October are fantastic times to be in Gunnison and Crested Butte, so I am very happy to inform you that all the stars appear to be aligning for you. Uh, Congratulations on your good fortune and your truly impeccable timing. And now let's get to my conversation with Parlor Skis' Mark Wallace. Mark, how are you today? I'm doing well, Jonathan. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm not going to lie. This week has been insane. And it's the kind of week where you barely have time to eat food type of thing. And um, so I am currently, I think I've earned some bourbon. And so I am actually having some. And I also have barely eaten today. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what the vibe ends up looking like in this conversation. But um, that's my current status, hungry and sipping bourbon fair that seems good i similarly had a, a very long hot day in the shop and have a okay a ice cold beer going so oh we'll nice see how this goes well listen i want you to tell me a little bit for those who maybe aren't familiar give me the kind of succinct uh answer to the question what is parlor skis and are we actually calling it parlor custom skis these days or are we keeping it shorter with parlor skis these days yeah it's it's parlor still parlor custom skis or but it's sort of becoming parlor uh for those of you who don't know the story i'm at mark wallace i'm one of the founders here and we started building skis uh 10 years ago now a little over 10 years ago if you can believe that uh in the basement of a funeral parlor in east boston or, or sorry in cambridge of all places and uh, the quick story there is that my uh, business partner's cousin uh, bought this funeral parlor to develop it. And he, he's like, yeah, you guys can stay in the basement for a couple months, uh, you know, and get things set up. And, and he got stuck in permitting and we were there for four years. Um, and that was really an amazing time. It gave us some time to prototype and to figure out where we fit into the market and how we wanted to build skis and what was important to us. And, and we started building some really good products there. Um, and people started buying them. And so we moved to a larger shop in East Boston where we've been for the past, uh, what does that leave us, four or five years now. Um, and we've grown to be the largest ski maker in New England. And uh, we do 
about 80% of our skis are, are built to order with custom graphics. And we really focus on uh, the fit and the experience of buying skis from us uh, and also delivering a really high quality, uh, you know, directional all mountain ski. And that's, uh, that's the quick story on Parlor. When you say uh, you started building skis in Cambridge, does that mean you started building them at Harvard? Like, is this like when people who went to Harvard, when you ask them where they went to school and they just say in Cambridge, like, are you doing that weird, polite, creepy thing? Uh, no, not at all. We, uh, okay. but I was just double checking. It's a fair point. We, we did go to one of those schools, but not Harvard. Um, and we were really, just, we, wait, we, did you just use the Royal week? I don't, I know you didn't, but now you need to clarify. Cause somebody well, out there is going to be like, yeah, we just so went we. to Harvard. Who's we? Yeah. No, so we didn't go to Harvard, but the, the three founders, okay. the three parlor founders, Jason, Pete and myself, uh, all went to Williams together where we raced. Uh, so we were all on the ski team yep. together. We were friends from college and as many great things, this was, you know, born out of, we were out, you know, drinking and talking and Jason was like, people are building great small batch skis. And I told him he was crazy. And, uh, here we are 10 years later, building great small hmm. batch skis. Of the three founders, who was the best skier? Who is the best skier? <laughs> I'm definitely not gonna straight answer. up. I'm definitely not going to answer. You have to. You know, uh, this is a this is a space where we pride ourselves on just brutal honesty. So, uh, I think we all have our our different strengths as skiers. Who was the that was a cop out answer? Who was the <laughs> who was the best racer? I mean, that's an objective thing, isn't it? Yeah, I, I was definitely faster than than the other guys. And what what were your best disciplines? Uh, slalom and GS. Okay. And which were you better at, slalom or GS? Slalom. Okay. All right. For better well, or worse. Thank you for providing non-cop-out answers after that initial cop-out answer. At least we got some some apparent truth or uh, veracity out of really you. It so doesn't really seem you. like this is the moment to talk trash on your business partners, right? It's... um. <laughs> I mean, trash is a harsh way to put it. I think just, uh, I don't know. Anyway, it, we'll, we'll think about that later. You can tell me once we're off, uh, off, off record here. Um, so three racers from Williams thought, let's try our hand at making small batch skis. And that is uh, where we were 10 years ago. And now today you are making, you're the largest ski manufacturer in New England. Did I get that right? Yep. Who actually builds skis in New England, which is worth noting, right? There are other okay. companies in New England who order skis from other manufacturers who are larger than us. Okay. Parler does these, offers these build your own skis classes. And I want you to tell me what that is all about. How did that get started? And what are the, some of the details with that? Sure. So the build your own skis class has been around for about four years now. Uh, it started pretty small. We had a pretty enthusiastic, you know, and passionate group of customers and friends. And they started asking if they could get more involved in the process. And it was summer and we had a little bit of time. And so we we brought some people in and showed them how we built skis. And they loved it. And they told all their friends. And, um, you know, there's a model for that out here. There are a couple other companies. Grain Surfboards has been doing this for a long time. And um, you know, we really, it really took off because people love doing it and we love sharing our craft, um, and getting to know our clients a little bit better. Um, and so there are two formats, there's either a two day or a three evening class. Um, but by the end of it, you spent, a, you know, about 14 to 16 hours with us and the team and we get to know you a little bit and, and you walk out with a pair of skis that you built, uh, and you get to tell people that you built them. And there's a real sense of pride and ownership that comes with that, that um, you certainly can't get with uh, with an off-the-shelf product. So, Mark, you've got these build-your-own-ski classes that are going on with Parlor. Tell me a bit about these classes. Uh, first off, 
how when did you start doing these? Is this a new thing this year? Have you been running them? And what was kind of the inspiration for starting these? Yeah, so this is not a new product for Parlor. We started running these classes uh, four summers ago now, I think. Um, and it started out really small. We we have a pretty unique and uh, enthusiastic sort of customer base community around our brand. And we had some of our close friends and people, you know, we do a lot of events at the shop and we have people in and out a lot. And, and we had people starting to ask if they were, you know, they could get more involved or how are skis made? How do you put them together? And we, uh, we sort of decided one day that we were going to try to see if we could teach people how to build skis. Um, we felt like it was sort of a, a thing that we could share with the community and bring people into the shop and show them, you know, what we did, how the craft went together and make them a part of that process. And, uh, here we are four years later and it's grown. It's, uh, it's a big part of our business now. I know we have the the largest build class in the country, um, potentially even hmm. the world. Actually, uh, I think this year we're going to put almost sixty people through the class. Um, so wow. it's it's pretty substantial, and people that do it love it. Um, you know, and we have people who come through who are, you know, not super technical, hands on people, and we have people who have been craftsmen their whole lives, and uh, we've done kids from twelve, like twelve year old kids, all the way up to. You know, we've had guys in, in their 70s do it. Um, and it's just a really great way to have a little bit of, you know, get closer to your products and also have a little bit of ski time, ski culture during the summer because we run the class from, from April to August. April to August. Okay. So do are there any courses coming up or did we already... Yeah, we actually, we have a very busy August, but uh, fortunately or unfortunately, we're sold out. So we're actually already taking, uh, we're taking deposits and wait lists for next summer's build already. And there's a, there's a little, there's a little list coming together for that. So feel fortunate that people are excited enough about it to, to already be reserving spots almost, you know, eight months in advance. Wow. Okay. So you said that people are coming with all walks uh, or all levels of experience in terms of having built stuff before, but are most of the people showing up to these classes like quite specific about what they're looking for from a ski or looking for out of a ski or does that vary as well? Um, I mean, it's a pretty wide cross section of our, normal customer base right and i think that there are there's a decent sized group who are highly you know educated and specific about what they want um and but they're really a lot of our clients who just want a ski that's right for them and is going to help them make uh feel more comfortable and more confident skiing the terrain that they want to ski on right so even if they're not super technical they know what they want and we're you know really good at talking to them and sort of articulating um what that is and then figuring out the technical specs and how to actually build that ski. But I think what the people who take the class have in common is that they all want to kind of go a little bit deeper on the sport and understand more about a ski or more about ski culture, or they want, you know, more of a connection with that. And it tends to be like our most enthusiastic, like people who are most passionate about skiing who end up taking the class, which is sort of interesting. Yeah. So just nuts and bolts on how this works. Like, so let's say if a class was starting tomorrow, for example, like what kind of hours, how long is a class? How many classes are there? What are the logistics on this? Sure. So it starts about, uh, usually starts about three, three to four weeks before your class. Um, and you'll have a fitting on the phone or in person with myself, um, like all our skis. We'll talk about where you ski, how you like to ski, what you've been on in the past, how you want this particular ski to perform. And then uh, we'll fit you into, you know, we'll come up with the specifications for your ski and then you'll start working on your custom graphics with one of our graphic design team. So by the time the day before the class arrives, um, we've already picked the ski platform that we're gonna be working off and your graphics are completed. Um, we do a two day intensive class uh, which is an eight hour day and like a six hour day back to back, either mm -hmm. on a weekend or any weekday. And then we do a three evening course, which is usually three consecutive evenings in a month. Hmm. Um, and it's the same content, just sort of spread out over a different amount of time. 
-hmm. as far as the nuts and bolts of what's happening in the class, uh, it's basically as if you're working as one of our, uh, you know, craftsmen in the shop. You work, you work one-on-one -on -one with one of our, uh, well, it's two-on-one, so it's either me or Tyler and, you know, up to two, two to four people in the class. So the two-day class is two people and the evening class is four people. Um, and the first day, you basically, the first session, you build all of your parts of the ski. So you set the outline of the ski by the base and, the you know, edging around the base of the ski, the outline of the ski. Um, we laminate the sidewalls to your core. Uh, we... Uh, plane and profile that core using the CNC machine that we have in the shop. So that sets the flex profile and stiffness that we've determined for your ski. Um, we put the base inlays into the ski, right? So it says parlor on the bottom of the ski. You've got to trim and, and set those inlays in. Uh, and we sublimate the graphic for your top sheet. So we use a dye sublimation process uh, where we print out onto a sheet of transfer paper and then put that transfer paper into heated vacuum press and actually print your graphic. So you watch your graphic go from a computer image, you know, 45 minutes later, you have it as the actual top sheet of your ski. Um, so that happens in the class. We then do like a full dry layup. So we get all the parts together, the laminates you've selected, the VDS rubber, the finished base, the finished core, and the finished top sheet. And we assemble that all uh, in the dry layup. And then that's, that's sort of the first night or the first morning, depending on which session you're in. And then either the second session or the afternoon, we actually do the wet layup. So you work with us and skis are built like lasagna. I know you know this, but for the anyone who's listening who doesn't, um, the base goes down first and then you use a two-part resin, two-part epoxy, uh, and you kind of wet that out. You coat that layer and then you come up with a layer of fiberglass. The wood core goes down, another layer of fiberglass, and then the plastic top sheet goes on top of that. Um, so we actually do that lamination process with us, uh, and then the ski goes into the press. Ski press is like a big pneumatic press that uh, has heat and pressure in it. Put the ski inside, and when it comes out, it's in pancake form. We call it the pancakes, basically like a big square, like with a bunch of epoxy on it. And the skis at that point are trapped inside, um, and they need to be cut out, uh, finished, and shaped and all that and that's the second day or the third evening is the the sort of cut out finishing all the handwork that sets the you know sets the line of the ski and and the look of the the sidewalls and all that and just for the record um i mean i had a decent sense of how skis are built but it never occurred to me that skis are built just like lasagna <laughs> so now forever i think that's uh that's gonna stick stick with me so uh, I'm not very good at making lasagna, but who knows? We uh, the guys in the shop hate that analogy because whenever I'm giving tours, I say that, and it, they say it makes them hungry every day. So I try not to say <laughs> I know. it down the shop. It, I think I agree with the shop guys because now, yeah. Anyway, um, well, dude, that's interesting, and um, it sounds like an interesting opportunity. I think the other detail of that that. I was kind of happy to hear is that when you were talking about these these build your own ski classes, I was kind of thinking it might be a little too much like a pottery class where people just show up and start making bizarre shapes. So I'm <laughs> I'm I've, I'm sort of encouraged to know that you actually go through before we start building anything and uh, get kind of get clear on what the end goal is. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a the analogy I like to make is um, this isn't like DIY, you know, like shelf making class or pottery making class, right? It's yeah. like if you pay enough, they'll actually they'll let you go build your own Camaro engine. I don't know if you know this, but uh -huh. like if you buy these fancy shit and, and they like put you into the assembly line and, you know, you build, you actually build a motor, right? And huh. but they take you through and they make sure you don't screw it up. You know, and we do the same thing, right? It's like you're working through our process, but we're there with you. And, and when you leave, you have like a, a fully world-class, you know, parlor ski. It's not like you walk out with, it's not a homemade ski that you leave with, right? It's like a, it's a full quality custom ski. And it has the same warranty okay. and, and everything that any of our other products have. Would it be fair to say that Camaros are built like lasagna also? <laughs> I'm not as familiar with that process, to be honest. 
Okay. Okay. Me neither. Um, let's see. Moving on here. I want to talk about like what's going on for the eighteen nineteen this upcoming season parlor skis lineup. Give me a sense of like what's new, what stays the same, that kind of thing. Absolutely. So I mean, the core of our lineup um, is staying the same. Uh, you know, we have our Cardinal series, which is you know all mountain, but a little bit of a frontside focus. Uh, we have our Kingfisher series, which is you know, a little bit more playful woods, trees, bumps, a little bit more mixed snow conditions, um, slightly wider platform. Uh, and then we have our mountain J, which is, you know, we have a couple different profiles for that, but that's sort of our bigger mountain charger, uh, powder ski, more playful powder ski. Uh, and then we also have the Heron, which is our like full on powder ski. And again, we have a couple different versions of that. Um, that's sort of the core of the lineup. I mean, that goes from 90 underfoot up to 120. Um, and mm-hmm. with the level of customization that we have, that serves pretty well. Um, a majority of our clients, you know, we're continuing to, uh, you know, we're always tweaking, you know, with materials. We switched resins last year um, with a lot of success. So that's, we're going to continue with that. Um, we're always playing with little tweaks to make the skis better. Um, but the majority of our lineup is going to be unchanged. Um, we are introducing uh, th- three. One one will launch in September, um, which is called the. We're still finalizing the name, but right now the working title is Project Warbird. Um, and this Project is Project Warbird. Yeah, how sweet is that? Okay, all right. <laughs> we're gonna come back to the names in a second here on this, but let's go. What's Fair what's enough. up with Project Warbird? Uh, so we we have been under intense pressure for the last six years from our we'll call them our more old school clientele um, to come out with a narrower, more carving focused ski, uh, and that's the Warbird. So seventy eight underfoot, sixteen meter radius, two layers of titanol, a touch of early rise, solid traditional camera underfoot. Um, and it's just a New England blue ice carving machine. Uh, <laughs> and we resisted that ski for a little while because we felt that there were some good race skis out there and we didn't really want to get into that market. And we felt like people were better served by a slightly wider platform ski. Um, <laughs> but we prototyped the ski last year and I got out on it and remembered how much fun it was to make turns like that and to have a ski that was that solid and responsive and, um, we felt like it was going to be a really good addition to our lineup. So we're, we're going to release that as a limited edition, um, for, you know, fall of 18. And then it'll probably roll into our, you know, our customized production lineup, uh, later in the season. Huh? All right. Names. What are the other contenders? <laughs> uh, I think that's pretty much Warbird is pretty much it at the moment. We're just not really sure it's going to work. It's like a little aggressive, right? No. Give me, come on, I love names. You're not even going to tell me the the other options? Uh, well, any bird of prey, right, is on, so you know the naming, we, our, all our skis are birds, right? Let's, yeah, all the skis are birds, but yeah, okay. So, Harrier was on the list, there are a couple different hot no. names, Falcon, uh, they, you know, they just, they, they don't work as well. So I don't know. What do you think it no. should be called? You could name it. I mean, if it's, if it's Harrier or Falcon, I'm definitely going Warbird. Well, there you go. Uh, well, but hey, I, come on, dude, give me some brainstorming. You're the, you, you see all the ski names out there. Where, where do yeah, we need to go? So definitely don't go Falcon. That's too, like, that sounds like a mobile home or something. <laughs> like you see it on an RV. <laughs> so don't go there. Harrier, just no. Uh, I think I'm I'm way in on Warbird. All right. Well, you can get back to me I, later when you come up with a when you come up with a new name. No, I'm I'm done. Final answer. Warbird. I'm I'm on Team Warbird, Warbird for this. Yeah. Do we leave so the project in there though, or do we just drop project and make it Warbird? No, definitely drop. Definitely drop project. Right. It's just it Warbird. It's yeah, hey, regardless done. of what you call it. It's a sweet ski. Um, and I think okay. people are going to be really psyched on it. So. <laughs> okay. Well, just call it Warbird, and then this was just a really f- productive podcast session, you know? <laughs> it's crazy. Just knocking out, just knocking out answers to questions. So, uh, cool. All right. We've got, we've got Warbird settled. But, I mean, one sort of thing you snuck in there 
there's going to be tetanol in this ski. Is Am I mistaken or is this a new thing where you're working with tetanol? It is a new thing. So we've, we've, we actively tested it uh, like four years ago. Um, and we made a decision that we didn't want to include it in our skis at that moment. We felt like we were getting a lot of dampness and stability out of our builds uh, without using Titanol or Tetanol. Um, and we wanted to kind of maintain a lighter swing weight and have sort of a different feel to our lineup, um, which we still believe and we've maintained. But as we tested it, you know, the beauty of having this huge variety of materials available uh, when you're designing skis is that depending on what, how you want a ski to feel and, and what you want it to do, um, you can pull on these different materials. And so um, as people who listen to this podcast and are into ski design know, I mean, Tetanol has some really interesting properties. It's really damp and it's, it's pretty stiff, right? Um, and it provides provides both those characteristics to a ski. So as we made this, as we were playing around with the ski and we made it narrower, um, we were looking for a way to make the ski a little bit more bust, uh, robust and have a little bit more drive and exit out of the bottom of the turn. Um, and the skis that we tested with the Tetanol and it worked better. So uh, we moved into that. Um, and now that we have that capability, you know, there's obviously all the sort of technical pieces behind that, you know, like how do you cut it? How do you make sure it sticks inside the ski? you know, all that stuff. So now that we really have that dialed in and we've worked all those pieces out, um, we're able to, to sort of pick and choose other places in our lineup where we may want to use it selectively, which is fun. Hmm. Cool. But it does not change cool. the fact that most of our skis are all wood and that I'm still a big believer that you can do a lot without sort of crazy materials inside the ski um, if, you, mm -hmm. if you really focus on the design. Mm-hmm. Yep. What's next? What's next in terms of what's new? Uh, the Cardinal Pro is hmm. the other, and this is also a Tetanol based ski. So we we felt like the Cardinal is really a it's really a carving ski at heart. Um, I you may or may not agree with that, but reading your review of it, I think you would, right? It it's yeah. damp. It likes to cruise. You know, it's playful, but that's where it's most happy. Um, and the Kingfisher is definitely a snappy, short radius, you know, crud, fun ski. Um, mm -hmm. And we felt like, it, so the Cardinal's 100 and the Kingfisher's 105. So the Cardinal Pro is going to be 102 underfoot. Um, it's going to have a little bit of early rise, traditional camera underfoot, a longer tail splay, um, and it's going to have at least one layer of Tetanol in it. So wow. the, the idea with this ski is to make a little bit more playful but also chargey version of that cardinal mm -hmm. um where it's a little bit stiffer it's got a little more snap to it um and you know with that longer tip rise it's going to be a, a little more versatile in some you know softer mixed snow conditions yep yep so a strong ski but a bit looser maybe than the cardinal yeah, it's. I mean, it's going to ski a little bit shorter. So the the lengths on them are are going to be about three to four centimeters longer than their corresponding cardinal length, right? Hmm. So we're, we're we're shrinking the running length a little bit, and we're extending the tip and tail a little bit, right? So the longer ski will ski a little bit shorter than the current version. Um, so it'll be a little bit more playful, but it's definitely going to have a lot more oomph and drive. Um, hmm. you know, like there, like some people really want to lean in and load up a ski and this is going to be a ski for those people, right. Who want to kind of go anywhere and do anything on it. So hmm. I think it's going to be, a. we still have a little bit of work to do on it to get it exactly where we want it to. But, um, the people who've skied on the prototype so far were, we had several of them try to buy them from us. So that's always <laughs> a good sign. That sounds like a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I look forward to checking that one out. It'll make its um, way your way. Don't worry. Okay. Anything else? Or are we are we up to speed on the eighteen nineteen lineup? We have one one more uh, probably late winter edition, uh, which is going to be a lighter weight touring ski uh, with hmm. a resort focus. So I think we'll get to this a little bit later when we're talking about New England trends. But there are a lot of our customers that like to skin up in the morning at the resort that they ski at and get a little workout in and make a couple laps before the lifts open. 
Um, and so we felt like there was an opportunity to make a lighter weight ski uh that still was pretty fun even if the conditions weren't great um a lot of the skis i think in that category are pretty chattery honestly um and so we're shooting for something in the you know high 80s or low 90s um that's going to have pretty low tip and tail rise be a little bit shorter uh all over but it's going to be light pretty you know definitely on the lighter weight side for going up um, and still be able to, you know, carve some fun, you know, mid radius, short radius turns on a, on the groomer on the way down. So we're calling it the, this one does not actually have a name yet, but it's, it's working title is the dad Skinner because <laughs> 85% of the people who are going to buy this ski or like myself have little kids. And the only time they can get up to go skinning is at five yep. o'clock in the morning. Hmm. Okay. The dad Skinner. I'm going to think about that one, see if I, but, uh, I think, and you know what prop props to dads who have kids and get up freaking early to go ski. Right. I mean, nothing wrong with that. Got to get your turn sometime. Got to get your turn. So here's, here's to all of you doing that. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, if my bourbon glass wasn't empty, I would raise a toast to all of you. Uh, Okay, cool. So the dad Skinner that might end up be calling the... You should call that one the Falcon. <laughs> the <laughs> Just kidding. After I said all these nice things about hardcore dads getting up early. So, no, don't call it the Falcon. Um, another thing I had to ask you about was I've heard something about parlor snowboards. What's going on? Yeah, you have heard correctly. So another okay. um, sort of... There are two main reasons for this. Uh, one is uh, sort of popular demand, right? I mean, we get a lot of lot of requests for snowboards. Like, hey, you guys build snowboards? Uh, but the more important one is that we felt like um, when we came into the ski market, we felt like there was sort of an unmet need, right? There was this sort of there wasn't a, a you know anybody building high quality custom skis in New England, right? And there was this little hole in the market. Um, in that sort of like mid 90 to 105 ski that was like really a great all mountain carving ski. And we felt like we had something to add to the market and obviously things have grown and we've evolved since then, but that was sort of the genesis of it. So we were looking at the snowboard market and Tyler, who's one of our partners who runs the shop, he's our production manager, um, is an avid surfer and snowboarder as well as being a skier. Hmm. And he has been working on boards and is on his sort of on his own time and talking about it. And he felt like similarly, there was a little bit of a gap in this market. There's sort of a lot of directional twin boards. And then there's, you know, some people doing some interesting stuff. There's this Pausner for movement going on right now, but we felt that we could create a product line around a sort of surf inspired theme, a sort of more old school board design you know, non-twin, we, we have one twin, but the other two boards are very sort of directional boards. They're designed to be loose and sort of surfy and allow you to interact in the mountain with the mountain a little bit differently um, than some of the boards are out there. And so we felt like there was a spot in the market where we could be additive and that we could, we could create a product that was going to make people really happy. So we launched them about, well, this spring, it was like July. Uh, so last month, I think we launched... Um, and we're doing a pretty limited pre-sale run right now, which we've almost sold through. And uh, those boards will be ready for the fall. And then we're going to take orders throughout the season. And then we'll roll into full production um, for next year. Uh, another cool thing about the snowboard line is that they're all split board optional. So you can huh. have any of our boards uh, set up as a split. Interesting. So. Okay. Well, maybe that is a nice segue into the next thing I wanted to ask you about, which was, I mean, you're the you're on the ground there uh, in New England, and I'm just always curious to you know talk to people and kind of ask them like, what's going on? What's the scene like? And so when you're talking about split boards uh, that are being built in uh, the Boston area, is this to suggest that we've got a a healthy split board scene? going on in new england 
Uh, I mean, absolutely. I think, I mean, there are less snowboarders than there are skiers. Therefore, there are less splitboarders than there are backcountry skiers in general. Uh, but you really see a lot of them in the backcountry. And certainly the backcountry scene in New England is gaining momentum at like a furious pace. Uh, it's really exciting. You know, even 10 years ago, when I think the really hardcore people were like, ah, there's so many people in the backcountry now, like you can't even go out. Uh, when I started going there, I mean, it was pretty, you didn't, you never saw anybody, right? It's just like you were alone in the woods. And now um, there are people everywhere. And there are a couple really interesting organizations that have taken off here. Um, Granite Backcountry Alliance is one of them. So that's the New Hampshire based group. And uh, Rasta is the Vermont based group. Um, Rochester Area Ski Trail Association, I think, is Rasta. And they uh, mm -hmm. they have been lobbying. You know, these guys got together and lobbied the state to let them cut trails on public land. Because one of the challenges in New England that you don't necessarily have out west is that most of our skiing is below treeline. So mm -hmm. the backcountry scene here is largely uh, either above treeline, which is mostly in the whites, uh, in slide paths or on yep. uh, cut trails. So there's there's a fair number of CCC trails that are still maintained. So um, no trails were cut a long time ago and they're still maintained and there's some different zones, there's some natural glading that goes on and stuff. But um, you know the ability to create, create and maintain backcountry terrain on state-owned land uh, has really been brought forward by largely those two groups, but you know, just kind of the popularity of the sport. Um, and because of that, there are just a lot more people getting in the backcountry, and it's really exciting. Hmm. Okay. Um, let's talk about ski width. Are we staying kind of, um, what do we say, uh, stereotypically skinny on the East Coast, are you seeing things get wider? Have you seen things gone wider and now people are pulling back? Where are we on that front? Uh, this is potentially my least favorite topic of conversation, but for you, I'm happy to, to have it. Uh, Wait, because because <laughs> you get asked it all the time or just? Yeah, I mean, I, we talk about it a lot. Um, I, I get yelled at a lot. Like still, you know, we go to a demo and like, at least six people go like nice water skis guy right yeah, like yeah. it's <laughs> you get a lot of that in new england um but i mean so we're i i mean up until this year our narrowest ski has been 90 underfoot right so i think in a mm -hmm. lot of ways uh i've been actively pushing a wider platform and i think that there are a lot of benefits to that um i think that certainly within the industry as a whole, we've seen things come down a little bit, right? I mean, things got pretty weird a couple years ago, right? And everything mm -hmm. was getting super wide and so rockered and nobody could turn and, right? People were like, okay, that's not going to work. Like we need to be able to carve. And, and so the, which <laughs> is like, duh. Um, and, and so the width started to come back down and everybody's sort of hovering for most of their stuff, right? Somewhere between the high eighties and the low one hundreds, right? That's kind of like the sweet spot. And to be fair, that's a big range, right? There's a big difference between 88 underfoot, 102. It's like not the same ski. Uh, not the same ski. Um, but I, I, for me, it's really, this is a long way of getting to this answer, but for me, it, it's it's much more of a stylistic choice than a terrain choice. Yep. Um, and people get mad at me when I tell them that, uh, but I, I do believe in this. And it's objectively true that a ski that is narrower um is a shorter lever, right? And is harder, is, you know, it's harder to break loose on hard snow, right? So a ski that's narrow is easier not to chatter on, right? That's sort of like an objective truth. Um, but there's a huge range in that. And people who ski typically with their feet closer together and create a, a high edge angle late in the turn um, tend to really not like wide skis in my opinion, because that that's sort of the moment in the turn where the ski is most likely to break loose and feel unstable if it's wider and, and chattery. Um, and the people who have 
a more who either ski slower or have like a, a much more rounded turn and a smoother pressure so like a c-shaped turn tend to really like a wider ski because it gives them added leverage at the top of the turn and they don't have to work as hard to get those angles and and to carve a really good turn uh that's my two cents on wits so all in all i think the the wits <laughs> made more than two cents uh wits have come down a little bit in the market in general um and you know most new england skiers have something in the mid 70s to high 80s that has metal in it that's super damp um in their quiver because when it's really icy and you want to go fast that's a good tool to have um but i do think increasingly companies like parlor and and other companies that make you know a, a real ski that's wider underfoot that you can still carve on um, and it opens up other parts of the mountain for people have uh, has also become a really important ski because it's a lot more fun to ski in the woods on something that's, you know, 100, foot and has early rise and yep. a little bit of camber, you know, than your yep. RTM 78. Like the RTM 78 is not fun in the woods. It's just not. Are you still, I mean, I mean, we, we see this, I get enough emails this way where it is kind of that, like my art, you know, RTMs are pretty good off piece. And I'm just like, no, they aren't. No, they aren't, you know? And I mean, so it sounds like that still is a, uh, let's say teachable moment (laughs) that we're, um, that we need to have with some people. I mean, and it goes the other way too, right? In the way that some people are like, dude, my 115 <laughs> underfoots are totally fine on the iciest of days. And it's like, well, you can do that. But I, I still do find it pretty amazing. Um, just the people I'm talking to on a day-to-day basis that are like what the tools they're using in like punchy, off-piste, weird, grabby, variable, tight, tree conditions it's like you're not doing yourselves any favors here no you're creating extra work i mean it's i mean there there is certainly a teachable moment about that but i think the more interesting or or a interesting way to talk about that is that the ski that you're on really dictates how you're going to ski and i think and to a degree that people aren't most people aren't aware of right and but if you use like the car analogy people it's totally obvious right like if you get in a porsche you can do things that are super fun right but Mm -hmm. there are a lot of places that you can go in a wrangler that you can't go in a porsche yep right and if you think about i mean i mean it's really that different right like yeah completely like the rtm versus you know like like the Sir Francis Bacon, right? I mean, like, they're so different that, like, trying to compare them, like, oh, I can use this anywhere is, like, it's just not, it's not really a good comparison or, or a productive one, right? Think, like, well, like, because yeah. a good skier or even a mediocre skier can get down just about anything on just about anything, right? Yeah. But there's more, I think there's more yeah. to skiing sort of stylistically and how you interact with the mountain and how you think about where you're putting those turns and stuff that, having different skis for different conditions allows, you know, opens up for you. Yeah. I mean, you can eat soup with a fork. <laughs> right. It's you a can. true statement. Depends on the soup. Yeah, it's, uh, well, yeah. Or just your patience level. But, um, <laughs> anyway, trends in East coast skiing, should we leave it at those two? Um, you know, I was thinking about it and I think that, uh, Snowmaking is relevant to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, Let's talk. And it may be this might be a little bit Debbie Downer, and I'm not a parlor is not a political person or entity in any way, <laughs> or or even a person. It's not even a person. It's a company. Uh, but yeah, uh, there have been a, there have been, there has been a big a lot of the mountains who are serious about being mountains in new England have invested a lot of money in snowmaking. Um, mm-hmm. and it's really paying off or, or mm-hmm. I think it's paying off. I mean, there are I mean, there's a real push to, 
I mean, the last couple of winters have been great in a lot of ways, but also super variable out here. Um, mm -hmm. And the mountains that stay open and that have consistent terrain have really good snowmaking. Um, and I think that there's mm -hmm. been a big push towards that. And I think that it's just sort of a relevant trend to talk about at least a little bit. Um, you know, that artificial snow is, is something that is going to become increasingly important in you know, consistency in consistency of being open, right. And providing good terrain to your clientele. I mean, it's crazy. Like, uh, watch is probably the best example around here. <laughs> Many of our your listeners have never heard of watch Um, but I, I think actually watch does more skier days than just about anybody else in new England. It's unbelievable how busy they are and they're in central mass and huh. they can go from grass to open, uh, on six trails in 48 hours wow now it's not a wow. huge mountain but in, in, when you're looking at you know variability and getting rain in january and some of the crap that happens out here um that's huge like you can get wiped mm -hmm. out and have a two 20 degree nights and be open again hmm. and i think just people seeing watching how different resorts are handling that out here. Um, it's a, I mean, it's just, it's, it's something that's going to become increasingly important and not just in new England. Right. Um, but you look at areas Agreed. that utilize snowmaking well and areas that don't. And I think that, um, the ones that do are, and they plan ahead for that are going to put themselves in a, in a really good position, you know, going forward. Anyway, you can leave that in or out. It's up to you. No, I'm leaving it in. And I mean, it is like, it's important. And I mean, there's, I think it's never smart in life to kind of bury your head in the sand. And I think that these are important conversations that, you know, we just need to be having more and more frequently in the ski industry and beyond the ski industry, right? So, um, no, I, th I think it's appropriate to bring it up for sure. Oh, for sure. The only other thing that I would mention is that, I mean, we, we at parlor have the really fortunate position of getting to talk to a lot of the people who are most passionate about the sport within our community. Um, mm -hmm. cause for whatever reason, you know, they gravitate towards us, even if they don't buy from us, right. They're sort of like in our world, we're sort of like a piece of that culture and we're a piece of that culture in a really populated area. Right. I mean, there are a lot of people around Boston, a lot of people who ski around Boston. And, yeah. and I would say that it's, there's never been, well, there is a lot of vibrancy around the ski culture and the ski community in New England right now. Um, and hmm. there's a lot of energy behind it. And that's really encouraging for me. Um, you know, especially being in the industry and people are like, oh, you know, snow sports are flat and global warming and blah, but like the people who love to ski, like they love to ski and they love being with their families and they love being with their friends and they love being outside in the winter. And the, and there's really a lot of energy around that out here. And I think that it's worth mentioning, um, especially in the sort of gloom and doom that happens. Like people like really are excited about the sport specifically in new England, um, right hmm. now, which is cool. That's very cool. Well, dude, this has been good to catch up. Um, I want to let you get going. Um, I need to go eat some food. I guess I'll wrap with my common question. What's the best question I haven't asked you? Mm, you know, at this point, I should have known that question was coming. Uh, yeah. What's the best question? Did you want to, did you want to like kind of toughen up and actually answer that question about who's the best skier among the parlor founders? There's a chance you could redeem yourself, and we would all think of you as a of a as an honest person. I mean, I, I mean, I I would certainly argue that I'm the best skier, but nice. but there's a big caveat on that. Jason is the prettiest skier you've ever watched. Wow, he's much prettier than I am. And you know, you want to know the real story is yes. uh, Jason's wife is a better skier than any of us. Perfect. Perfect. And I'll actually, okay. I'll, I'll close with a story about that, if you'll indulge Okay. Me. So uh, this was actually before they were married and they were out at Jackson. 
uh, and they were standing on the top of Corbett's, and Jason was like kind of eyeballing over the edge, and uh, and Cecily, who's his wife, backs up, you know, two or three steps, skates in, and like drops the cornice into Corbett's, <laughs> and uh, you know, right down the whole thing, no problem. And the guy next to Jason goes, "Is that your girlfriend?" Jason's like, "Yeah." He goes, "I guess you're going, huh?" <laughs> and he did. So. That's awesome. So Cecily's the best skier of all the parlor founders. How's that? And also sounds like the coolest person I now know that's affiliated with parlors. So Cecily, to, here's to you. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and that is an awesome story. But frankly, it also sounds like, hey, Jason, way to go. Fair point. Fair point. Um, hey, this has been fun. Thank you for taking the time. And um, it's it's great to catch up a bit on everything you guys have going on. And um, please, please just call it the Warbird. Uh, we look forward to checking out the Cardinal Pro, you know, when you guys feel like you have that dialed in. And um yeah, good luck with the rest of the summer and uh, oncoming season. Yeah, and maybe, uh, I, likewise, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. We always like to catch up, and uh, it's always entertaining. But uh, one of these days when you come to New England, we'll have to uh, we'll have to put you through the class and, and see if you have the chops to make your own skis. Interesting. Um, now I'm just going to think about lasagna so I probably will just be like, when is the lunch break or the dinner <laughs> also, break? But, uh, we also provide really good food and lasagna and really good. Do beer. you? Prov- uh, oh, we, you know it's usually it's usually pizza and burritos. To be honest, oh, I like those. But I like those things a lot. There's this amazing burrito like- place right down the street. It's you act, t- full disclosure. I'm now more into the idea of coming to New England. Once you you got you sold me with the great burrito place because one I don't believe you because you know look at where you live. Right. So, but but I'm but I am open minded and uh, as Cy Whitling and other people at Blister will tell you, great burrito spots matter to me more than most things in the world. So I I yeah I think you've sold me. Excellent. All right, well, we'll see you soon then. Okay, (laughs) we'll work on it. Hey, man, thanks, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk soon. All right, thanks a lot, Jonathan. Take care. That's it for this edition of Gear 30. Thanks to Mark Wallace for the conversation. And head over to parlorskis.com to sign up for one of their ski building classes or to check out their current lineup. Then be sure to head over to mtbhome.com to learn more about the riding and the trail network in Gunnison and Crested Butte, Colorado. And again, if you haven't already, check out our most recent All Things Climbing episode that we did with Alex Honnold, because one, it's Alex Honnold, and two, we talk with him about some of the truly phenomenal non-climbing stuff that he is up to. Finally, thanks, as always, to our strikingly handsome audio engineer, Justin Bob, and we will meet you back here on Gear 30 next week. Take care, everybody.